This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. My name is Peter Gowers. And without any further ado, I'd like to get the special guest for the episode, the man that's named after Weekends with Walshy, Mr. Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Walshy, hello there. Hey, Pete. How are you? Good to see you. Um, yeah, you too. It's uh, it's getting to that time of year, mates. The Christmas party season is well and truly upon yeah. us. The kids' Christmas pu- functions for sports, school, district, all and sundry are upon us. And uh, in about 10 days from the date of us recording this will be Christmas Day itself. But, uh, gee, it's a hectic time this time of year, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always something going on. And, uh, yeah, for me, anyway, we're I'm, I'm taking off, as you guys said last week there, for, uh, for a month to Canada, yeah. back to Canada. So uh, Makes yeah, it even been, more complicated, trying to pack up. Yeah, yeah I've been trying to get uh, some stuff done here and out the door before, like for, you know, for the website here and for the the news and some features and longer in-depth stuff that, that I've been working on that people mm. need to know about. So yeah, it's been, been a hectic, hectic week or two. Well, you, it, you promised us some um, explosive stuff in the final episode for weekends with Balshi for the year with you, uh, uh, because yeah, yeah. you're going to be overseas. <laughs> well, we so that, you know, any arrest yeah. warrants will have expired by the time you get back. <laughs> yeah, Pete, look, I, I just encourage people, um, I think when this will air Saturday, just stay tuned to the website. There's going to be some stuff coming, and I think that's going to surprise some people. Certainly, some information there that that hasn't been in the public realm yet. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, related to the Labor Party and really how they, you know, overall when you look at the problems. And of course, we talked about this issue with Ken Rowe, the former secretary, and his uh, crimes and what he's been convicted of and, and sent sentenced to. Uh, you know, just how that all kind of came out with, uh, you know, this this party doesn't seem to accept facts at times. And then this goes for the party itself, but also uh, maybe more importantly or disturbingly for the elected officials in government. And, you know, you can you can present them with facts and they just reject it. And, and I'll give you an example of that. Uh, uh, you remember when those uh, three guys back in what was that 2018 we're talking about uh, Jeff Collins Scott McConnell and Kenny Bowles and so these guys you know they had facts on their side they were raising issues about the budget they were raising issues about the debt and how uh, you know the fiscal mismanagement that was going on now these guys had serious concerns based up based on fact and Gunner moved in and, and just eliminated them because they were talking the truth and, and this came Gunner's philosophy in all of this. You know, it goes back to how he misappropriated Crocs in the cabinet. Um, the book that Ben Smee and I wrote about that tumultuous CLP, Adam Giles government, mm-hmm. he gave everybody a copy of that. And Scott McConnell tells the story and, and he writes in it, yeah, don't let this happen to us. And his takeaway from, from Crocs in the cabinet, which I don't think it's even in there. Maybe it is just when Giles is drinking beer on election night 2016, <laughs> he's just been pummeled. Just yeah. completely obliterated in the polls. The party was it was next to dead. And he says, he's at, well, he's sipping the beers on camera uh, across wherever. And he says, uh, uh, you know, this unity is death in politics. 
And, you know, there, there's, yeah. there's probably some truth in that, but that's not what did the CLP in. It was, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. not all of it. I mean, it was the, their own self-interest ahead of Territorians' interest in doing what was best for the territory. And Michael Gunner and his clowns have fallen into that same trap where it, it, it becomes self-interest above all else. And, and we've seen that. And, but, but Gunner, you know, told them if, if, we, if we're not united, uh, we will be divided and, uh, you know, we'll lose our jobs. It's not that it's not that the territory would suffer. It's that they personally would lose yeah. their jobs. Yeah. And, you know, you look, you look at the, and the facts of everything. Uh, he just, he just chose not to do it. And, and a lot of people, a lot of political observers had said too before, like, well, you know, labor's been really good. They've been disciplined because they haven't spoken out of school kind of on, you know, even when they had a leader like that, who, who without doubt and without argument, Gunner has left the Northern Territory in a worse place than when he inherited it. And anybody who was dissenting against that, anybody who spoke out and said, like, well, wait a second, this, is the, this isn't right, what's going on? They were dealt with and they were taken out and nobody talked about it. There was no gossiping about this. And people said, you know, that's good discipline on their part. Well, to me, I think when we observe labor and what they've done, this government, it's more, it's not so much as disciplined as it is a, a desperate estrangement from reality that's benefited <laughs> them. <laughs> you know, the facts are all there. Reality yeah, is yeah. there. They choose not to see it. They, they yeah. instead choose to, 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 to disregard fa facts, the truths of what, 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 what's actually going on. They just say, no, no, we don't believe that. And that's a lie. And we're going to keep doing it our way. And we're all suffering because of it. And, you know, you look at the crime crisis. There's another thing here. I mean, these, they still don't seem to accept that, that something needs to be done differently here. And, you know, we continue to go down the same path. And, uh, you know, when we have stories about that again, I guess, coming up uh, and, and we're not doing anything differently. And they know what the reality is, but they just choose to not to address it and to, and to hope that it all goes away. It always seemed that Gunner's problems seemed to go away if he just didn't do anything, if he hid in the closet long enough. You know, these, these issues would go away, but at some point you need to show leadership and actually do something. And, and even if that's unpopular and even if that's, you know, going to cost you your job, there, there's more at stake here than your own individual self-interest. And, and, and labor just doesn't seem to grasp that even with files now. I mean, she's going down the exact same path as Gunner and all of this. The approach is exactly the same. It's disregard reality, disregard facts and just lie to the public. I mean, we get into the petrochemicals thing, a metal arm. I mean, that that's just crazy. She's just blatantly lying to people. Mm -hmm. um, and then this is how she seems to do it because she's watched Gunner do it and he got away with it. So she's ramping it up. I think she's telling more lies than Gunner did. And that's saying something. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll get a we'll going like they do with Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it would, it would be so tiring to to fact check everything because oh, it's just not true. It's just it's just untrue. And you know, and the party faithful there, they they seem to buy it. You know. Yeah. Anyway, look, th there's a story coming, and uh, and I just mentioned all of that as the bigger theme here. And that um, you know, even when Bob Collins, when all that came out about him years ago, there were still people in the party saying, this is, a, this is a witch hunt. This is all politics. It's untrue. Yeah. I mean, and that was just such a disturbing incident, but it harkens back to what's just happened here uh, with Roe. And you had people there saying, oh, this is all set up. This is all lies. They said, this is lies. And then they started seeing the facts come out in court. 
yeah. and they still can't bring themselves to address it. Uh, yeah. and, and then, like I said, but who knew what and when? Well, we're going to get a better idea of that very soon. And it's, and it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people in labor. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable that people who are close to individuals will immediately side with their colleague or friend or trusted person. But as soon as the facts start to, to weigh up, you know, you, you've got to be prepared at least to listen to those facts and say, yeah. oh, I didn't realise that person or these people or whatever were capable of that. But now with what I know, I yeah. have to accept it. Well, that's it. And we've come this far and he's been found guilty by a jury. He's uh, been convicted now or uh, sentenced, sorry, convicted by the jury, sentenced by the judge. He's in jail. And yet they still seem to think this is all lies. It's all just is lies. Wow. And it's like, wow. uh, where's the accountability? Do you think there's a bit of George Costanza in it in as much as, you know, yeah. it's it's if it's not alive? It. Yeah, you know, just keep telling yourself it's lies and therefore that, that's a fact. Uh, yeah, right? look, it, it has to be. Like I said, that's a desperate estrangement from reality. I mean, it's just mm. a, some sort of group psychosis or something, I guess, from the Red <laughs> Tribe. I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. But it, it's really troubling and it, this just really has exposed it all. And then what's still to come on all of this, like this Canberra thing, as much as they think it's over. And I know that she took a question on ABC radio this week from Joe Laverty about it. Yeah. Uh, Files did. And, um, you know, her new tax. So they like to say, Oh, well, uh, you know, justice has been served. And it's like, well, your people kind of tried to kind of meddle in that by writing reference letters for him yeah. to get him a lighter and, sense. So and, and, and if it's all lies, has justice been served? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, you know, look, she hasn't come to that point where she's saying that. I mean, other people right. have in the party files. It wouldn't yeah. be that, that crazy yet, but I, I wouldn't put it past her. But anyway, no, their new tact is this. Uh, files said, I, I can't talk about that because I'm supporting the victim. Right. So I can't talk okay. about that because I'm showing support for the victim. Okay. Well, come on. That's not. Yeah. <laughs> she actually said that this week. So now they're hiding behind the victim right, right. and saying they don't want to talk about what they knew. I mean, they still haven't even been asked that question. We know Madison was asked that yep. question. We know that she lied about it. I mean, quite mm -hmm. frankly, the facts show that, that she, she was the police minister at the time he was charged. And yet she told parliament, right. um, Oh, I found out in through the media six months after we couldn't name him for six months, but she said, Oh, that's when I found out. Well, she was the police minister. Like the process is that a briefing is done for the minister yeah. by police when there's a high profile case like this. Yeah, yeah. So, look, the fact is, and I've sent her questions, if she didn't get that briefing, well, that raises a lot more troubling <laughs> yeah. questions as well, because why did the police not brief the minister? Did they think she was too close yeah, to the matter? Yeah. Like, you know, all of this stuff. Anyway, look, it'll, mm. it's all going to come out. They can't hide these secrets forever. And yep. the territory, as you know, it, it'll find its way onto the front page of the, well, now the NT Independent uh website mm. used to be in mm. the day back in the mt news but uh they don't break anything anymore but yeah anyway like i said keep reading the independent we're gonna have more yeah well chris you know um you obviously do lots of interviews and uh talking to different people and you know, we we do this podcast with you and with other people and you know there's a lot of content we've got to get through from audio sometimes video etc so we're all using tools these days to assist in that process uh, you know, whether it's uh, transcribing tools or whether it's, you know, bits and pieces that can help with video creation. And I, I found myself a tool during the week. It actually popped up in my social media feed and it mm. was, it's basically, it's a, it's a transcription um, software, but it also does other things like 
it'll pick out the highlights of an interview and it'll timestamp certain things for you. And um, mm. it's, it's, it's quite amazing. Well, that's and, what a journalist is supposed to do. Pick up the highlights. <laughs> <from> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I thought um, I did have a big chuckle because I took our episode from last week and I ran it through this software just to see yeah. what it would come out with. <laughs> and it, it talks about, um, so it says the summary is that Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper and uh, talks to Peter Gowers regarding certain topics of the week that that have made the news. And it says, um, uh, oh, at the start, we highlighted the importance of the NT Independent subscription, which is something we talked about. <laughs> it said, the speakers discuss how the Territory often reports more negative news than positive news, mm -hmm. but they feel it's important to report everything honestly, which I thought was also true. <laughs> then the, the first line of the third paragraph, I just cracked up. The two journalists, which I loved, I was called a journalist at the same time, <laughs> said the two journalists discussed the book Crooks in the Cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> Which is about the corrupt and incompetent government of the CLP between 2012 and 2016. Well, it's pretty I good. I mean, that was, myself, uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, that was the alternative <laughs> title. The legal got involved and we had to call the crooks in the gap. <laughs> I'll tell Ben that one. That's funny. Yeah, I'll send you a copy of it. But, yeah. um, oh, gee, I laugh. But it, it's actually really cool software. Not that anybody yeah. cares who's listening to this, but I'll, uh, I'll send it to you because yeah, yeah, you cool. can probably use it for some things you do. Yep. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the stories of the week because that's what we're here to talk about. And this one certainly raised an eyebrow when I read it. The Howard Springs Quarantine Centre could now be leased by defence. And, and, and be, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the drums of war continue pounding in Darwin and everyone's <laughs> hearing it loud and clear, right? Like, yeah. This is, uh, man, you know, like, uh, who's the Joker? Andy Cowan. Remember that like three, two of his top three, uh, initiatives, let's say to grow the economy to $40 billion by 2030, which they won't be able to do. Let's be honest. And that's just a fact too. This is, you know, Ruth Palmer was good at pointing out the facts just, of that. Before. Just on that, Chris, they never said whether that was in the positive or negative. So <laughs> I trust they could get the debt to 40, 40 billion by yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, it's about 10 by next year. Yeah. 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 No, the, the, the rate that they've done it too, right? From what six yeah. years ago, going from 1.5 billion to now yeah. to 10 by the end of next year. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Um, You've got to be really trying, and they have. Yeah. So this is a, a, a an initiative that came. Well, anyway, yeah, like I was saying, Andy Counts, like two of his three were about war. Like that's how we we're going to grow the economy. Well, this week, you know, it's revealed that the Australian Defence Force saying that they are in talks with the Files government to possibly lease the Howard Springs, uh, what's now the was the COVID nineteen quarantine facility to accommodate the growing number of military personnel in the NT. And now, of course, this involves Americans. Mm. Remember the 6,500 increase uh, to the rotational um, deployment here of Marines. Uh, getting, yeah, a lot of uh, military investment here. So, you know, just to recap, I think we've had in the last few weeks now, we've had first, uh, what was it, Man the B-52s are coming. <laughs> the nuclear-powered B-52s that the yeah. Americans have, they're going yep. to Tyndall. We're going to house them yep. there so that they can strike China in the event that the 
uh, conflict with Taiwan escalates and Australia gets involved there. Yep. I guess we'll just let the Americans do it from here. Uh, then you had, it was revealed, I remember Nicole Madison said, now nah, there's nothing to worry about. We got a long military heritage here. So don't mm. worry. Mm. History never repeats itself, she said. <laughs> That's what she's implying. She wouldn't even be, well, who knows? And like I said, they're not facing reality here. So she probably would say something like that. Anyway, we had that one. Then we had uh, both uh, Nicole Madison and Natasha Files dressed up in their best uh, marine whites when they got into a discussion with the federal government about bringing nuclear-powered subs, the AUKUS, so-called AUKUS subs up here. Yes. Uh, didn't look like that was going to go anywhere, but they had to get their hand in for that because, hey, warmongering is good for the economy, and so we could do this. And, we, yeah, so now we've got where they're trying to lease out this the uh, former Impex Village, which is what we used to know it as. Now it's whatever it was, the yeah. Center for yep. Human Excellence or whatever it was during COVID, <laughs> during a pandemic. So yeah. they're trying to now it's Now it's known as the area that the defense are going to get for cheap because it's sitting there empty. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we we did an FOI on that right before this, and this is like the the, the anti government just like fell ass backwards into this thing that they're now called the the gold standard for uh, dealing with pandemics and isolation, which was this Howard Springs Impex camp, mm. right? Like they 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 spent we had done an FOI, so uh, Impex gives it to them in what 2019, I think, when they take off and they say, "See yeah. you later, thanks for all the gas." Uh, <laughs> no, see, we're, uh, here. we're happy to hand it over and not pay the rent on this <laughs> donkey. <laughs> Thanks for the fish. Here you get the old fishing village here. And uh, so there we are. We've got this facility. Now, the government knew, and this goes back to the previous CLP government, back in 2014 that they were going to get this when Impex was done. They did nothing. They planned nothing. They had no use for this. They, they did not think of what they could do with this. A lot of ideas were being thrown out. Jerry Wood, the, the, the former member for Nelson, the independent, he had a lot of ideas. He was always talking about this. I think we ended up calling Jerry uh, uh, when we did this FOI, and he said, and what we found was that they'd spent nearly $2 million in just nine months to maintain that deserted impacts village after the workers left and the facility was handed over to the government in 2019. Two million dollars. I think Jerry said, well, they've got some sort of million dollar dunny out there because he said there's there was two security guards working there at the time using one toilet and somehow it's cost them two million bucks for nine months. It was crazy. And they just they didn't plan for how they were going to maintain it. And and the contracts were all mismatched and all over the place, like for maintenance and stuff like that. Two million dollars. So now. Apparently, it's costing NT taxpayers, according to the ABC, $400,000 a month to maintain. Uh, it's been vacant since the, uh, of course, the isolation rules were relaxed earlier this year. Uh, so, yeah, the ADF's interest, of course, coming on back of uh, the NS6500 uh, international military personnel in the territory for several joint military exercises this year, including 2500 for exercise pitch black, 2000 under the U.S. Marine rotation, and another 2000 for another exercise. Uh, yeah, so while they were, a lot of the personnel then over those events were accommodated at the different bases, uh, others were using hotels in Darwin. Uh, especially during the peak tourist season, of course, in the dry. Now, so, you know, one angle, I think, when this was that, oh, yeah, let's get uh, the hospitality association. So they came and said, yeah, it's great. Like, yeah, lease it out because we got to, we want more accommodation. We can 
Mm. We're doing fine. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I guess they'll sell it however they can, but I think people be, be concerned about something like this. And, uh, and, and why do we need all, like how many, how many are there actually here? You need this village, and I can't remember what it holds, yeah. but like a lot of people, like seven and five hundred or something, as I recall. And don't quote me on that; I might be off, but it's 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 quite a big it's facility. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so look, Files is saying now the government had said, well, I guess you know, uh, defense came out and confirmed this week it's in negotiations. Uh, potential future use options for the site have been canvassed during routine discussions between defense and the anti-government. Spokesperson said, however, files said, of course, nothing has been finalized. We don't want to take away from what is presently supported by the private sector, she said. But if this could be of benefit to defense and benefit to our community, particularly tourism, it's something that should be progressed. Again, saying that, well, we'll have more rooms open. The price will come down. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, we did enter with the Commonwealth government into a period of having it on standby for COVID if it was needed, uh, as we've shifted the second half of the year very much to a community-based illness. It's less and less likely that it's needed to be used. Uh, so yeah, look, this seems to be the the latest step in our march towards yeah. war and, um, and our, mar- <laughs> our military heritage. We're going to load up in the Northern Territory, get another couple of thousand personnel there in the yeah. not fit for purpose, not fit for purpose facilities. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got a pool and a basketball court, I think, and all kinds of things. The infamous party quarantine center, as it was known at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's funny you bring that up because I think all the other media was calling it the gold standard. The gold, gold standard, standard facility. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, um, yeah, hotel it quarantine dep- rave. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Depends what your gold standard is and depends what your facility is too, doesn't it? Yeah. So anyway, well, uh, no doubt we'll hear more about that uh if the defence does or doesn't lease it, I was picturing the two security guards on a million dollars a year doing a fair bit of work for that <laughs> for that money previously. Yeah. A fair bit of facility for two people to look after. Uh, yeah, yeah, but um, I guess they're contained and stuff, right? So yeah, these guys anyway. It was, well, well, it's yeah. contained as long as somebody doesn't take a pair of bolt cutters to one of the fences. Yeah, well, yeah, if they want to get into a deserted. Area, yeah. Look, and yeah. I can't remember what the numbers were. I, I looked at that story briefly, and we probably should have done a link to it here. But it was there was some like a million dollars a year for security and yeah. uh, all kinds of yeah. other necessities. So, anyway, Crazy. look, yeah, they they had to come up with some. I mean, it's a facility that could be used, and there could be a benefit to the government and make some money here, or do something, or, or help yep. the community in some way. And they yep. just show how out of ideas they are. I mean, they had years to plan for this. They didn't do it. They fell ass backwards into the pandemic and using it for that. And now mm. we're saying, well, let's just fill it with military people. Um, but the theme the theme is the same, mate. I mean, remember yeah. all of these things from the university campus to everything else they've come up with. There's never been a business case, yeah. never been well, a plan, never yeah. been anything other than, and and didn't they didn't they retrospectively come up with some business plans previously because they hadn't done it before they came out with the idea? So well, yeah, and, well, and I think yeah, well, that was the the art gallery, I think, or something, right? The, yeah, uh, the new one at State Square. But yeah, I guess that kind of a good segue into our next story, isn't it? Brother? It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Let's why not? Let's get straight into it because uh, the ship lift project 
has now been referred for investigation amid ballooning costs and, of course, the contractor collapsing, which we discussed last week. But uh, the opposition saying there is no business case to have this ship lift. Yeah, well, they, they, this is the crazy thing, you know. Like we've we've discussed this before. We've gone looking for this. There was something done. I don't know if it was a business case per se, but it was done. It was done after they started talking about this thing, and then they won't let us see it. And from what I understand, there's something that it was uh, it was some sort of check or due diligence thing or something, and it shows that it's not going to make any money, and it's in fact going to mm. cost a lot of money uh, and lose a lot of money. So. You know, we get to this point where last week, uh, when the Clough Group, um, and that is the part of that joint venture, uh, the mm-hmm. contractor, the, the the larger part of that joint venture, who and they despair, they go into administration. Uh, so concerns are raised, and that this is going to cost even more. Remember, in May, they put out a release about this when they announced Clough Group and BMD as being the joint venture contractors. Yep. That they said, well. Uh, yeah, and that's they're gonna build, yeah, yeah, the $515 million ship lift. And it was, whoa, whoa, whoa. And yeah. I don't know if anybody else did that there. Numbers are up there, kids. Yeah, well, this just went up by $115 million <laughs> in the space of a couple of months. And um, since their previous release, so yeah, anyway, so yeah, we pointed that out. I, I think everybody else missed that that time in the media, anyway. Um, that was concerning way back then in May. So here we are now, massive cost blowouts. Uh, last week's announcement that the lead contractors entered administration, of course, raising further questions about the ongoing viability of the project. So the CLP came out this week and said, Look, we need to refer this to the public accounts committee. Um, it started with a $100 million price tag six years ago when the CLP were still in power uh, and was last costed, as we said, $515 million. Um, so uh, Gerard Malley, deputy leader of the CLP, came out. He said, there's there's been no business case made public by the files. Labor, government, and territories have been left in the dark as to whether this project will provide value for money. Just last week, one of the two participants uh, Clough Group uh, entered administration, adding uncertainty and potentially meaning additional costs will be incurred by the territory. Territorians deserve to know if this project will return a profit, uh, which would only go to Pass Valley, by the way, uh, including whether the cost of the project will generate return on investment within a reasonable amount of time. I mean, I could answer some of these questions for him, and I could answer that. <laughs> the media the, the media were, were asking him, because I heard the audio from that, there was somewhere to get this hundred million dollar figure from. We don't remember this hundred million dollar. I know, and I wish I would have told them. I remember that very well six years ago because Adam Giles came out out of nowhere one day and said, "And I'm going to build a ship lift here." And this is like in the lead up to the election, and I'm going to build a ship lift. It's going to cost a hundred million dollars. It is, and I'm going to build it. And then, like, what the hell is he talking people about? People will come. Yeah. So the auditor general went and looked back at that a while ago, years ago, and found that that there was he pulled that out of his ass. There was they no cashed up after the sale of TIA, though, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, where probably where they wanted it from. Yeah, but the, but the, he had no idea what a ship lift cost and a hundred million dollars. <laughs> like he just he just pulled that yeah. out of nowhere. And 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 she said, like, this is crazy. Like, why would you even do government policy? And then he got the department to start working with this. Okay, $100 yeah. million, dollars, so how are we going to do this? He thought that they could have this giant precinct. Now, the Auditor General looked at that and said, look, there's a way, if that precinct was built, which would have a whole bunch of other facilities and the ship lift would kind of be the center of it, but this marine industrial precinct, yeah. that, okay, you're looking at maybe, maybe, maybe you could break even on this. 
Um, but she said no. And, and we know that they, they got rid of that, that they thought that would be too much. So I think she said something that it was like the return was going to be 65 cents on the dollar. So, yeah. you know, Melly's asking that what's the return. I mean, read the goddamn auditor general's report yeah. man, because she's done this before and she's done it a few times. I read these things. I, I know I'm one of the only ones who read it, but the, really the, the opposition needs to know what they're talking about when they go into these things. Now Correct. with them. I'm with them on the fact that this needs to be explored further, that this project's completely unmanageable. And we're at 515 now and the and the contractor's yep. gone. This is gonna be at least a, easy another hundred mil, probably now, since May. Um, yeah. so if there was no business case at a hundred mil, there's certainly no, <laughs> nothing at five fifteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or six fifteen <laughs> now or whatever yeah. it would be. But yeah, look, yeah, just sixty-five cents on every dollar spent. We know that 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 that's what the auditor general said. That's a fact. She's looked into this. She's costed this thing. They yeah. then got their other people to do this whole funding thing or this this model. Um, you know, the other part. Well, in the funding model on this one, particularly, uh, taxpayers are going to shell it. We're going to pay more than two hundred million. The other three hundred million will be in the form of a concessional loan from the federal uh, NAFE, North Australian Infrastructure Facility. <laughs> Remember, we'll be the ones paying it back. It's, it's not going to be Pass Valley. Pass Valley is not contributing a single yeah. cent to the project, but will operate the facility for profit. It's a and good deal, man. I'll tell you. It. It's I'm, crazy. I need some more businesses like this that I can be gifted <laughs> and make money from and not wear the downside. I'll tell you, I saw a uh, transcript from an interview during the week that the chief minister did, and it it, it it kind of made me seethe overall because <laughs> there was a question put to her regarding the uh, part, the facility partner that's now gone into administration. And there was a whole lot of rhetoric around, oh, we did our due diligence and, you know, we'd... <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, if they're yeah. going into administration six months later, you did a crap job. Yeah. You should be sacked. Anybody who made a contribution should be sacked. And anybody that said, yep, these guys are a great company to be in business with should be sacked because that is a disgrace. Yeah. Yeah. It's about accountability again. <laughs> They don't have any of that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They did they didn't do their jobs on this one. And so the COP saying, let's go to public accounts committee. Now, you know, part of that is all for show in that sense that um, well, I guess if they got it and they, they were obligated to have it looked at by the public accounts committee, but of course that committee is controlled by labor. Yeah, of course. And Joel Joel Bowden uh, is the chair <laughs> of that one. And then I think yeah. you got Robin Lamley on there and Maybe Melly is or somebody in the CLP too, but that's basically the makeup of it. Yep. Um, so don't expect it to get to the bottom of anything. They'd be better off reading the Auditor General reports and uh, maybe even getting her to do something else now on it, um, which they can refer stuff to her. Uh, might take a while. Anyway, look, yeah, the Territorians aren't winning on this one. There's no way. And this is like, this you can just tell what this is going to become. This is just going to keep ballooning yeah, the cause. Yeah, you can. And you know, and so when does reality again? When does reality sink in for these people that maybe this I isn't know. the right thing to do? Because you know, and I keep repeating it. And we put it in all the stories that uh, they keep saying it's going to be hundreds of jobs, which we know they lie about, and yeah. it's going to contribute this much money to the economy. She doesn't even give a figure for that anymore. She just says, "Oh, uh, millions. Let's say untold millions to the economy yeah, yeah, yeah. every year." Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but those numbers aren't true. And here's the thing: the ADF and, and Border uh, Force have not 
said that they will use this thing. I mean, that was yeah. all contingent on the fact, like one of the, those reports they did on it was contingent on the fact that ADF get involved and they're not. They haven't said that they yeah. would do that. So it's it's just it's just a crazy waste of money that, uh, again, uh, desperate estrangement from reality. Man. And that was my question, Chris. When I read the article, I thought, so what's the COP angling for here? Because they won't control the committee. Therefore, any findings that are made will be lukewarm at best. But then they can do a, a, a dissenting report, right? So Lamley would right. have that ability in the CLP. That So say they look at it, and the Public Accounts Committee would have to look at it objectively and actually get everything out there in the open. And then they go back and they write their report saying, hey, we think this is great. Yeah. <laughs> well, then the other committee members can uh, contribute a dissenting report and say and highlight and say, no, well, what we've actually seen here, this is a different way of interpreting these facts. Yeah. We know political parties have always done that, interpret facts differently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alternative facts are really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess they would have that. It would play out. Uh, you know, there'd be some uh, media on it. It would just get in people's minds that this thing is turning into this white elephant. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's where we're at. And I think that it's going to keep coming out, though, regardless of whether it goes to public accounts. And I don't know the latest on that here this week. I got busy with things, but. Um, yeah, this isn't going anywhere, and it's uh, like half a billion dollars now, and we're we're paying for that, and that's great for the NAFE loan. Thanks for that, but we're yeah. all going to be paying it back while Pass Valley's making profit off it. So, and, and that's even if they could. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's it's, it's going to get worse, and it's crazy. Well, you've heard the expression "doubling down," and well, these guys mm-hmm. are quadrupling down plus 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 now, and it yeah. gets to a point where, and I, and I think this was the point made by the CLP. There's no business case for it. And you actually are answerable to the people who vote you in. You mm. can't just make decisions blindly with no no business case, no end result, and just because, you know, you feel like you want to do it or you, mm. you, you don't want to say we were wrong and back out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just can't do that. They're incapable of that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They, they are accountable. But that's, that gets back to another notion, and uh, you know, that they know nothing about, which is accountability. So here we are. And uh, yeah, let's see what happens. But yeah, that's, that's going to be a mess for sure. Yeah, well, we'll uh, continue to watch that one closely. We'll move on to the next story and talk about three councillors who unexpectedly quit the Barclay Regional Council. Yeah, well, things just get weirder and weirder out there. Remember the mayor? uh, The mayor. Yes, I did remember the mayor. Uh, Yeah, Um, yeah. So now, what's happened? And uh, he gets done. He gets uh, caught up, and that's before the courts. Now I don't know what he's pleading not guilty or what, but uh, yeah, it appears that um, he's dealing with those issues. He's back now as mayor, but uh, there's been a lot of. uh, questions, I guess, raised about what actually is going on and some dysfunction in there in this uh, Barclay Regional Council. Now, uh, a lot of that has to do with, well, the people involved there. And apparently there's been a lot of resignations by staff um, and they're alleging all kinds of things. So what happens then on Thursday here is the three councillors just unexpectedly quit, just said, that's it. Now, Woody called around about this one and he found that uh, uh, with resignations following, one of the three had told staff that recent issues had, quote, attracted negative media attention. 
Um, and that was, uh, you know, back at the time when the, the, the mm. marijuana charges and stuff. And then it, it showed that there's a lot of dysfunction going on there, that that was really kind of a small element of something much bigger yeah. <laughs> in terms of dysfunction with council. So uh, Woody had uh, rung the CEO, Emma Bradbury. Now, so she had said that Noel Hayes and Derek Walker had resigned and Hal uh, Ruger, Ruger all tendered their resignations. She said Hayes and Walker cited personal reasons and that Ruger did not give a reason for leaving, which <laughs> we thought, okay, that's a little odd. Uh, I'm out of here and I'm not telling you why. Yeah, so Woody, Woody, Woody got on the phone trying to call them and it was unsuccessful getting them. She said she couldn't speak for them, um, but that the mayor uh, had thanked them for their work. Uh, yeah, so the reasons just that still don't know really uh the council website said yeah these guys have been around for some of them for a little while so ruger since 2004 so he's got 18 years here yeah, as wow. counselor and then you had a yeah hayes from 2017 walker from just last year uh now they were waiting hayes one of the counselors was chair of a business uh council processes review committee which was to receive a report from uh, from lawyers who are engaged by council to review its people systems and business processes. <laughs> now, yeah, that's and, interesting. And resignations policy. Yeah, yeah and, and the dozens of staff. I mean, and, and yeah. I mean, I hear it's like dozens of staff, wow. more than one dozen. You wouldn't have thought they'd have that many. Yeah, yeah. Who've resigned? So something is going on. And at some point, you got to say, is it me or is it everybody else when you're the last person standing? And it appears as Emma Bradbury, the CEO, is the last person there now. Um, and she's not commenting on certain elements here. So, yeah, so something, something's going on now. The, the ABC had reported there back in September about the flood of resignations uh, amid the allegations of bullying and mismanagement. But wrote that McLaughlin, the mayor, and uh, Bradbury, the CEO, said that the complaints were, quote, the venting of a small group of disgruntled ex-employees. Except, like I said, it's like dozens. It's, it's a, not small. It's a growing small group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, look, the matter, you know, McLaughlin's back in the role of mayor following that uh, personal leave he had to take after he was caught on the, under, allegedly under the influence of drugs in late September. Not forced to stand down by the council, even though he was driving a, a, a council car at the time. Uh, yeah. The, the, anyway, that is still before the courts, and we'll see what happens there. But uh, council did not respond to questions about the mayor driving a council vehicle back at the time. Anyway, we've got a lot of dysfunction there. Clearly, there's issues, and you got that many mm. staff. And now council, now elected officials are saying, oh, yeah, mm. especially the guy who was in charge of receiving the report into this dysfunction. It's like, oh, see you later. I'm out. Yeah, I'm, I'm not queen. sticking around. Yeah, deal with this mess. <laughs> Like, so there's some serious fundamental issues there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On a basket I just day. think um, that might just be on par with the uh, top two quotes of the year. The top, <laughs> the top quote of the year, Chris, was when you put in a, a couple of questions to a well-known business person who responded to you by saying, None of your business, and none, none I think yet. none of your business. <laughs> none of your business. And I think the Barclay Regional Council CEOs might have just surpassed that with quote of the year. I'm not going to quote for them. I think that's gold. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, may well be the best comment of the year. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, there's some issues out there. Um, anyway, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this, uh, 
<laughs> sideshow ends and it's uh, yeah. drama, but uh, yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it sounds like there have been more resignations than there are actually positions. So they must be rehiring <laughs> and, and quitting multiple times. <laughs> no, it's not. Man. It really is. Somebody's got to say, yeah, it might be me. It's not everybody else. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we find out who that is eventually. Um, Chris, moving on to the next story that also raised eyebrows this week, as a lot of them do. The uh, Beedaloo Basin Aquifer annual refill rate has now been doubled by the NT government. And this, again, I really enjoyed, with no explanation given as to why. Yeah. Uh, look, this was an excellent story by David Wood. I just pulled this up here to have a look, and I see it says independent staff, so that's some sort of error there. It should have Woody's <laughs> name on it because he, he really did a good job on this story, and it was an exclusive. It was something that we didn't know about. Um, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe this stuff. So yeah. essentially, you know, what it is is, the, the governor, uh, the files government, the NT government here, and the files government recently announced water allocation figures, right? So for this Georgina, uh, Wiseau and Daly basins. Now they're interconnected parts of a greater Cambrian limestone aquifer, which importantly sits in part above the Beedaloo basin, right? Now this is to calculate how much water could be distributed for intensive agriculture, mining, and of course, fracking down that way. <laughs> now, and that, and that's you know that's huge here, and, and expected to ramp up here in the new year. So, what happened was so they announced these water allocation figures. Now, they've been called into question by scientists after the government inexplicably doubled the estimated annual refilling rate provided by a hydrologist for one aquifer. And then created its own figure for another aquifer, which is attributed to his model, despite the consultant not providing an estimate for the recharge. <laughs> right. So for one of them, they just That's they called doubled a guesstimate. It. Yeah, inexplicably doubled it, the refilling rate. And then there was another aquifer there, and they just said, Yeah, okay, let's just put a number on that and say it's him. And so he's exactly. like, Whoa, I don't have the data to do that. I can't do this stuff. And this yeah. is what, you know, you get into this stuff here and you start reading this. And it, and it was very fascinating that uh, what they base this on now it was the 2020 consultancy who struck the model, the recharge figure for that of Georgina Wiseau and Daly Basins, which are interconnected to the Cambrian limestone aquifer. Now, that 2020 report for the, for the government was done up by a guy named Anthony Napton. And... Uh, what he said was there was an annual recharge figure of 315 gigaliters for Georgina Basin based on this three-dimensional surface water and groundwater modeling system that he was using. But this other guy now from RMIT engineering, uh, Professor Matthew Curell, he said Napton did not produce a recharge estimate for the Wiseau Basin. Possibly, he said, because there was insufficient reporting data to get a reasonable estimate. However, when the government released that, its water allocation plan last month, it said the annual recharge for the Georgina was 607 gigaliters and 45 gigaliters for the Wiseau, which it directly attributed to Napton's modeling. But we know that those figures didn't stack up. That's not what it is. But it was essentially what they were saying with the Wiseau one, I believe, was, was that that was double uh, what they had actually come up with. So, yeah, th these questions then become around what what information they're actually basing any of this on. Now, Curo, the professor from RMIT, 
Uh, he's one of 18 water experts from Australian universities who wrote to file soon after the government released its allocation plan a few weeks ago, uh, calling for a halt to new extraction licenses and labeling the territory's water regulations as poor. <laughs> and then not meeting national standards. He said, that's kind, isn't it? Just yeah. You do not have the detailed methodology and science behind the figures in the table. So you don't know if they are robust or not. He said uh, to the government in the letter to files, the experts, 18 of them said the Northern territory's record of water planning did not meet national standards with departures from the principles of national water policy. The recently released Regina Wise Water Allocation Plan is particularly poor and regressive, they wrote. It breaches water planning guidelines of the National Water Initiative committed to by all uh, jurisdictions and the Australian government. It risks many significant environmental and Indigenous values. No water advisory committee was put in place, compounding the problem of absent environmental or cultural requirements for water or trigger rules for assessing unacceptable impacts. We therefore urge you to. urgently implement the following halt it halt the uh, water licenses halt issuing water licenses uh until you can actually do this job properly and figure out what you've got <laughs> so dedicated resources to develop extensive baseline science for large data you know uh it's crazy right it's just crazy you could just remove uh the bit about the water from that paragraph and you could insert any other thing they're involved with, and it would all it would all stack up. <laughs> yeah, you're not basing this in reality. Again, we get back to that <laughs> desperate estrangement from reality. <clears throat> oh man! So yeah, so he goes on here now. One explanation, and I thought this was interesting, and what he had it in the story. One explanation for the doubling of that recharge figure, which the professor and the anti-environment center uh, believes is likely, is that the government, for an unexplained reason, cut the number of years worth of data used by more than half. So just halved it. When Napton's report states he used data from 1900 to 2018, but meanwhile, the government's background paper to the allocation plan states they used data from 1970 to 2020. So they're looking at less time to get a sense of how this water recharge happens annually. Now, the professor, Curl, he said that it was this point was particularly important in that the wettest year on record was 1974, which is by some estimated to have added 21,280 gigaliters to the groundwater of the Georgina Basin, whereas the current data indicates recharge in most years would be negligible. So that figure accounts for about two-thirds of the water calculated to have recharged the Georgina between 1970 and 1920. So he said, uh, basically, that almost all of the recharge that was taken, that has taken place in the modeling took place in one very large event in 1974. So the modeling figure and the estimated sustainable extraction rate is dependent on a large and poorly understood recharge event that took place nearly 50 years ago. At that time, the groundwater wasn't being monitored very effectively. Using this approach to determine average recharge and then set a yearly extraction rate based on this average is very risky. So because you're not looking at a a bigger sample size of of how the recharge works. No, but look, I mean, I really think he's giving them way too much credit. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you and I both know. You and I both know someone just hit times two on their calculator, and that's how they came up with the number. <laughs> yeah. Well, no one I think, sat there and took 50 years worth of figures into account. They just went, ah, oh, bugger it. We'll just double it and move yeah, on. Yeah. 
well, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that then, you know, the uh, lawyers will get involved and they'll find themselves in court and uh, this thing will get really messy. Um, but so that's yeah, the question I had for you on that, Chris. In fact. Yeah. Is there any obligation on a federal level to get these numbers right? Because I, th- I thought about that. I thought, I mean, what is well, one of those resources yeah. that is just talked about so much? And in the Northern Territory, we're very blessed to have, you know, a lot of rain and therefore a lot of water, but mm-hmm. there's parts of Australia that are in drought for yeah. most of the time. And yeah. yet we're mucking around with all this, you know, doubling limits that we probably shouldn't be. Yeah, well, apparently there is a national allocation plan that, that, that has best practices, which the government is in violation of here. Right? <laughs> the professor said, right? These 18 water experts said, you're breaching yeah. the national act here. Like, you can't do yeah, this. And yeah. this is what I'm saying. Lawyers are going to get involved. So, uh, yeah, no, the government, of course, we go to the government. What it goes to the government, <laughs> they're not going to respond to us. <laughs> so, dirty, 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 dirty. Yeah. <laughs> now, somebody had to go back and, and listen to some stuff on ABC, I believe it was on Country Hour, and um, the NT government's executive director of water resources, Amy Dysart, this was back when they released it on November 18th, so just a few weeks ago. Uh, mm. We've identified this level of sustainable extraction as the right balance between those competing uses. Um, uh, and, and that's those competing things, I guess, would be uh, uh, how much they come in, how much has to go out. It ensures yep. the majority of the water is primarily retained in the resource for ecological uses and supporting cultural issues. And some of the water is also available for supporting development in that region. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, we, we didn't, that's not enough. And they're not answering these questions about why did you double it? An unnamed spokeswoman for files was quoted by the ABC too, saying, uh, justifying the science and the allocations by saying, quote, there were quote significant reforms made by the government to water use in the territory. Quote, we are also developing a comprehensive long-term strategic water plan, which will look at sustainable water for all of our regions. Yeah, but, but, yeah. but not based on, on the scientific facts and no, figures. And they're only looking. They didn't say they're going to come up with anything. They're just looking at it. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Well, How many gigalitres do you need for cultural use, Chris? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, Pete. I, I don't have the numbers on that, my friend. Uh, 243 gigalitres. I'll just drop some cultural stuff in there and that'll make them back off a bit. That's what it <laughs> yeah. sounded like. Yeah, look, yeah, I think that there's a lot of people concerned about this. And um, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's What was it, though? There was something about this. Top end has traditionally had an 80-20 rule, which means 80% of water flow is allocated for the environment, which would be essentially saved, and 20% can be used by industry. But when you're doubling those numbers to, to get the base, then you're going to give up more than you can get back, and um, that's going to be problematic for everybody. Maybe they've got some sort of um, rainfall predicting machine that we don't know about that they know there's going to be double the <laughs> rainfall this year for <laughs> problem solved. Mr. RMIT uh, man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, I don't know. Look, I, I, I think that's it. He just said it's very concerning that the anti-government did not assemble an expert scientific panel to look through the relevant data and modeling and carefully. Is anybody shocked by this? <laughs> Have they put together a crack panel for anything they've done thus far? And I'm not even talking about the current government. That includes yeah. the... I made up a $100 million figure for a shiplift government that <laughs> them. 
going to shoot from the hip beat. <laughs> they just make stuff up. But yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you got to be accountable. There's, there's accountability here. And that's what I'm saying. The only way to get through to these idiots at this point is for somebody to launch a lawsuit. And then, and then we start getting results. But that's what it's come to. Like, I mean, this government yeah, doesn't even do what's in the best interest of its citizens unless it's sued by its citizens to do that. It, it, this is, yeah. it's, it's like a dystopic, you know, place we're living in here now. It feels like it. Yeah. Ah, they probably geez. didn't even know there was a national board that were going to hold them to account. <laughs> yeah. They, they had to look up who this guy was. <laughs> Wait a second. What? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you said there's 18 water experts around the country. I mean, Australia's a big place. I'm thinking, is 18 enough or is 18 too many? <laughs> I don't, yeah, well, you know, yeah, that's a good question, Pete. Uh, I don't know how many there are. There were 18 who signed this. I don't know. They're all from around us. We only have one chief medical officer, so do we really need? Like well, we had, some, we had some backups. I think we had three or four backups that we went through. When uh, yeah, was on, but depending on know. when uh, those were kept against their will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll park that and uh, no doubt we'll talk about it more when they get taken to court. Uh, Chris, this is a serious story from, from during the week. And, you know, we've talked a lot about crime in, in recent months in both Darwin and Alice Springs. And uh, look, 15 were arrested during the week for various property offences in crime in a crime sweep by police and dog units. Talk about this for a while. Yeah, well, look, it's 15 and that's what you think they're doing some big crackdown, right? That's what I thought when I saw it, like, oh, yeah, yeah. they got everybody. No, this is just a regular night. This is they just happen to find one uh, group of six and one group of nine in right. the same night because there's that many of them committing crimes in a single and night yeah and 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 these groups i know for a fact don't like talk to each other or anything they just do it like you know when i was broken into here and talking with cops and they were saying there's another group doing it just like in the next suburb over and uh another group of you mean these crack gang of, gangs of teenagers are not coordinated as to knocking <laughs> <Yeah>. off <laughs> no and yeah i just yeah i don't even know how they how they do this anyway but so the, i think the pack usually is about six from my experience so you know with this is what happens so initially six offenders aged between 14 and 16 now these are considered the seniors and that's the whole wow. thing 14 and 16 <laughs> wow. they've been doing this for 10 years yeah. now yeah. um so yeah they're they're well well versed hey, in this the, these guys are uh in in the age of criminal responsibility they yeah, know what they're it. doing that's it. That's the seniors. So they were tracked down by patrol dogs after stealing a Toyota Hilux from Yarrawonga. Police said that stolen vehicle was seen driving uh, haphazardly through the city before slamming into another vehicle, which we hear of way too much, way too often. Uh, the group attempted to escape by running into the Manelli area, where they were discovered by police dogs and arrested. Uh, the police said the group had attempted to enter several business establishments before stealing the vehicle, which was used to unsuccessfully ram into another business's front gate. Um, yeah, they went through waist-deep water there, too. One Tiger Brennan drive trying to get away from the dogs, but the dogs mm -hmm. found them, as these dogs are amazing, they do. They and are. so all were later charged uh, with multiple property offenses. Police said now a further nine people aged between 14 and 50 Years 50? Old. Yeah. 
So it's like, yeah, that's geriatric yeah. stuff oh, here. Now. Absolutely. That's great grandfather sort of stuff. Yeah. Or mother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, age between 14 and 50. Anyhow, uh, they were also arrested in a separate incident that night after allegedly engaging in an overnight crime spree that included stealing several vehicles and ram raiding a fuel station at Acacia Hills using one of those two stolen Toyota Land Cruisers uh, to, and proceeding to steal goods worth thousands of dollars. I don't know how you get that out of a service station. I ain't getting goods worth thousands of, I guess, alcohol. Uh, that's that's retail pricing, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So that chocolate bar that you buy for six bucks, <laughs> which you can get at Woolies for 50 cents, is yeah. valued yeah, at six there. bucks when the cops are uh, doing their tallies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, they didn't say like alcohol and cigarettes. They just said, uh, yeah, steal goods worth thousands yeah. of dollars. Anyway, yep. um, the group then unlawfully entered another business establishment in Winelli, stole another Toyota Land Cruiser, ramming it into other vehicles to exit the establishment, causing extensive damage to the property. The offenders stole another five Land Cruisers from across the greater Darwin region before being apprehended by different police divisions. What's with all the Land Cruisers? They love them. They love yeah. them. And, you know, a lot of people would say, and we were talking to our friends there to, at a car place who've been getting broken into. And yeah, that is what they say. And they're, they're, they're driven then out bush, right? Like, so yeah. most of these stolen cars aren't from locals. This is now when you right. get into the car stealing thing yeah. business, that that's, you're looking out. And a lot of people are saying this, and the police have said this, that water is a lot of issues still out there. People are coming in here. We know that. We've seen that. That's just a fact. Yep. They were stealing crossbows at one point, taking them back out to water. And so yeah. now these land cruisers, these kind of cars like this, are being targeted and being stolen and taken out to these remote communities. So, right. um, yeah, so now they did catch these guys uh, at Nunama after cordon was established, tire spikes deployed. This sounds like just quite a crazy night in operation, though. Uh, yeah, they recovered two other vehicles at Adelaide River. I mean, they're going all over the place. In the, they were actually uh, looking for Adelaide other people, River. but they happened to get some crimes yeah. because of the tire sparks. <laughs> it works yeah, out well. yeah, that's the old Alice Springs job there, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what they said at the end of this. Sorry, uh, Sergeant Mark Bland, in addition to the vehicles located, local police and water have also located another vehicle and investigations are continuing with more arrests expected soon. Uh, and he said, yeah, it's just another fantastic example of different police units working together to bring justice for mm -hmm. the community. And we know that they do work hard um, on this stuff. And again, I think, you know, but, you know, we put this story up and people say, oh, 15 arrested last night. That's great. They're probably back tonight now doing it yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And that's the frustration and the point yeah, we're at yeah. here because nothing seems to change. And um, yeah. yeah, I, I think I read it. one of the comments saying, oh, I bet they've been bought KFC for dinner and they'll be back on the streets within an hour. Which is, is terrible that people have to feel that way, but it's it's how it seems. I um I saw a, a post on a um a local community page this week and somebody had posted a picture of their Toyota Hilux saying if anybody sees this car, could you please let me know? Uh it had been stolen for the third time this month. <laughs> wow. So yeah, yeah I mean I'm not sure the advice I can give there. Maybe hide your keys, but I mean, how mm -hmm. frustrating that you can not only wake up once, not twice, but three times, and find that uh, someone has stolen your car. I mean, I guess the only saving grace is perhaps it was still drivable the other two times, but 
Yeah. As you said, Chris, we're hearing this way too much. And, you know, what's gone wrong in the world or in society that this is now a daily occurrence? And, I mean, a Toyota Land Cruiser, round figures, is worth about $100,000. Yeah. They're so, not you know, who's footing the bills? Insurance? Is it? It's it's absolute. It sounds like there's, there's anarchy going on that they think this is a way to behave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then and the government again doesn't seem to be understanding the reality of this, and that you've got people. You know, I took just another anecdotal story, but I took uh, Karis to um, with my wife to a, a, a place around in the suburbs that had lights for kids, and then we're there, and the, the guy's telling the owner there, he said, "Look, I'm moving. I'm done. I've had enough of the crime. I've got a job in interstate, yeah. and I'm gone." Yep. And, and I thought, ooh, you know, this is happening more often than the government likes to think. And, you know, we've got business owner, uh, uh, Manfred, really good guy down there in Parep, who's had to, um, I don't know if you saw this story today. I think the NT News carried it. He's got a lock on the door. He's not allowing customers into his cafe until they're sighted and they and he knows that they're not going to cause any ah. trouble for him. <laughs> um, I, you know, we've heard at the independent office from different business owners uh, just this week too saying we're frustrated we're sick we've had enough you know we may have to shut our business down because we can't keep up with the damage that's being caused Uh, it is for some reason desperate estrangement from reality comes back again and the government Mm. just don't seem to be getting this and that something needs to be done quick that we're past that point of waiting for generational change as i know you love that one um but 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 we're right now need direct immediate change and uh and uh, yeah how, how to achieve that is again of course difficult but there needs to be a way and there needs to be something done quick to restore law and order because everybody's leaving everybody's had enough and they have no faith in this government to do anything anymore i mean they've had six years and things have gotten worse like i started this saying that i don't think that's an even arguable point that this place is a lot worse off now than it was six years ago when labor took over uh, yep. It just is. And now whether that's all entirely their fault, I, I don't know. Um, but they are the ones leading. They are the ones making the laws. They're the ones making the decisions on everything. And mm. and, and we're just at a place now where I, I, it just it, it gets further away from where we want to be. And, and then much more difficult to get back to where we want to be as, as this continues to go on. And I don't know where it ends. I don't know what it takes to get through to the government that something needs to happen. Well, something you just um, said uh, reminded me of things we talked about last week. And uh, again, in the, that note summary software that I use, it's funny because I went through it all and the different bits and pieces that we talked about. But right near the end, you might recall we talked about uh, the AFL uh, signing on again for next year and having games played in Alice Springs and in oh, Darwin. Yeah. And we said it was and- a good social opportunity yeah yeah, and so our final three notes um uh dot points it said afl to return to the nt the benefits of having a local football team the benefits of mentorship for at-risk youth and just as you're talking then i thought you know we said last week it's going to take an all-in approach everyone needs to get on board and I think you're right. You know, you can sit there and blame the current government all you want, but it's not like there's never been crime. It's just that there's been different ways of handling it between Liberal and Labor. And I think now 
We need some bipartisan yeah. and we need yeah. everyone all and sundry to get in because it's got to that point where it's it's beyond the tipping point and we're seeing some stuff that just shouldn't be happening, uh, you know, in a nation such as ours. Yeah. Yeah. No, Pete, absolutely. That's where we're at now. And um, yeah, how many more people do we have to, to lose and how do you get to that $40 billion economy when people are shutting up their businesses and leaving town? That's right. I yeah, mean, uh, I, yeah. how much more does it take for them to, to, to wake up? I don't know. I don't know. It's frustrating. Well, look, one way we might get there is by touching on the next story, and that is that uh, $8.3 million has been announced for recycling facilities across the Northern Territory. Will that get us to the $40 billion, Chris? <laughs> yeah, well, the feds have kicked in here, so they're serious about this. Uh, yeah, so $8.3 million from the federal, uh, and I guess the government's uh, putting in 2.3, so about 6 million from the Recycling Modernization Fund. Anyway, look, this will be ways to improve uh, holes or gaps in the waste recycling capabilities is, uh, in the communities of Galawinko, Gapawea, Gramaginning, Melangimbi, and East Arnhem Land. These uh, subsidized projects, yeah, I mean, there's a whole list. There's you got glass recycling plant at Holtz, Cardboard, Compactor, and Palmerston. Recycling infrastructure upgrades for East Arnhem Regional Council, new recycling bays for Central Desert Regional Council. Uh, yeah, look, and the list goes on. Um, yeah, working federal government says that they are committed to this. They recognize challenges are making it difficult to recycle, reuse, and remanufacture waste in smaller and isolated communities, which have diverse populations. Yeah, where curbside collection is not feasible. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. Remember, here we've we've got, we've been so far behind. Uh, I think the rest of the world uh, in the Northern Territory on recycling stuff. So they're saying some jobs will come out of this. Uh, yeah, and that establishing well, and then the government comes in with the uh, the anti-government saying that they're going to turbocharge, quote unquote, turbocharge the circular economy. Um, so right. to your thing, which no, I, I always, always love it. Yeah, I always laugh when I hear that because I'm like, it reminds me of circular maze of logic, and <laughs> I just think that that's what we're in with these guys <laughs> every day is in their circular yeah. maze of logic. But they're, they're yeah. explaining this now. Lauren Moss, the environment minister, explaining that is uh, when a product is no longer useful for its initial purpose, it will be reused, recycled, or remanufactured. Yeah. Yeah, recycle. I think the circular economy makes sense. Mm. However, you just need to be really careful that you don't get accused of going around and around in circles. (laughs) And they're often that that feeling. Yeah, yeah, we know that feeling here. (laughs) That makes me nauseous just thinking about it. Um, Yeah, so establishing new recycling infrastructure is a key action the anti-circular economy strategy, mm. 2022 to 27. Um, I think we're, we're still so far behind here and what we need to get doing. But uh, anyway, I guess this is a step in the right direction. Um, and if you if you make that economy out of it, you actually make it work, make it useful. I think that there must be like a lot of opportunities in some of these remote communities for something like this to be done, done properly yeah. to create yeah. jobs and and really benefit everybody. I don't know if they're there yet, but it seems like a good initiative. Yeah, look, I, I think it is. And I can tell you firsthand that 
Certainly in Victoria, I, I notice on a daily basis just how many recyclables are just obviously thrown out of car windows. Whereas when you drive around Darwin and the Territory, you don't see that. Now, I imagine the remote communities would be different, but if these, uh, you know, recycling opportunities are coming into some of the more remote places as well, yeah, um, I think it's great because yeah. you do see at the centres in Darwin, there are people who are very vigilant about keeping their containers and cashing them back in. And look, as much as you get 10 cents per container, you're paying that 10 cents when you purchase it. Oh, right? yeah, the deposit. So, yeah. yeah. so you get, you're only getting back what you put into it. And I think it's a great incentive that I think a lot of people have got on board for mm -hmm. that reason because you do get a few cents back and, you know, you can get your next packet of water or some whatever it is that you're buying to, to drink. Uh, you can pay for it through the recyclables if you if you're vigilant about it. Yep, yep. You only get what you get, Pete. Exactly <laughs> right. At this yeah, time of at this giving time of Christmas, <laughs> I think that's a wonderful statement, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope let's hope this expands and that this becomes something the government starts focusing, the NT government starts focusing on this kind of yeah. stuff because it could be good, right? Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. Now, Chris, this is your final episode before you push off for a well-deserved holiday break. Yeah. Now, I just wanted to take this opportunity very quickly because uh, you're going to Canada in the depths of winter, and, of course, Darwin is bloody boiling right now. So yeah. if you can, maybe just take a couple of minutes to describe what it is you're leaving and what it is you're going to be entering when, <laughs> when you get home. Yeah. Well, it was pretty hot today, I think. I don't know. What did what they send? Probably 35 or something, but then the humidity. So I just yes. was looking. I was looking the other night. I'm going to, when we get into uh, central Alberta and Canada, uh, it is, it's been like minus two all week. When we get there, it'll be minus 22 and that's the daytime high. So that is at like lunchtime when the sun's <laughs> shining bright, it's going to get that's up the to the middle a, of the day high minus 22 minus 22. Well, you, you, and then, so that's the high. And then the, the night low, I think is minus 38. Um, now that's just bitterly cold. That is like you go outside and your your face you feel right away and your nose hairs freeze. You take just one breath of air and your and your nose is like frozen and wow. um it's it's really unpleasant. And so I'm hoping <laughs> that that changes because I don't need to get back into that. You know, when we left and when we moved over here with something like that, though, it was minus 30 in Alberta and, we yeah. came here and it was plus 30. And um, yeah, so now we're, <laughs> we're going to get back into that with yeah. Christmas in Canada, I guess. Are there any preventative measures you have to take to go out in that? Obviously, you wear coats and stuff, but if, yeah. if, if your breath is freezing the instant you breathe it out, are you wearing like masks or, you know, scarves yeah, around you your face or anything like that? Yeah, if you could, anything helps. And, you know, when we, and I mean, you really just, you're not going to be outside. And it's too bad because, you know, we want to show our daughter uh, a kind of good time with tobogganing and snowman building and snowball fights. And but that, that is, is too cold to be out there for too long, especially yeah. for a four-year-old. One of the things you need to do, though, so that means we spend inside. You might be able to go to places, go to the shopping center. As we do here, sometimes maybe beat the heat. You go there to get the heat. I don't know. Just get out of your house for a while. Yeah. But you stay inside. 
one of the things, yeah, with the cars, it gets so cold in Alberta that you plug it in. Like it has a plug. Oh, and you plug wow. it in to keep it to keep it moving. Like yeah, keep, yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't freeze overnight. So yeah. we'll get back into to witnessing all of that. Now the last time that we were there, Christmas was twenty eighteen. And that was I don't remember it being that cold. It was probably just a healthy cold, maybe minus three to minus ten. Yeah. But yeah. once you're in a the minus twenties. In minus thirties, it's it's not pleasant at all. So yeah, yeah that'll be. I, and do you need I, those people to come and clear your driveway every morning? Uh, no, well, no, you got to do that. See, that's the one thing that I don't miss about oh, Canada. There's no Mister Plow in your area shoveling snow. I mean, no, you you get somebody, I guess, but nobody does. That. You you just you're Canadian. You have to go out and right. shovel the street. You have to yeah, shovel okay. the sidewalk. And then you yeah. shovel your driveway so you can get in, and then the plow will come by and plow it all back in, and you got to start right. that. I do not miss that. That is one thing that I, I will never miss. <laughs> Forget being over here. It's the snow, and I was I was at the casino on Friday afternoon having drinks there at the function, and um, I went out on patio and took a photo because I thought, yeah, a week from now it's going to be minus twenty-two, and here's the palm trees and the ocean, and uh, mm. yeah, just so I remember. <laughs> well, Chris, enjoy your white Christmas. I won't say I'm envious, but uh, have a great time catching up with family and friends, and we will see you refreshed and ready to go in the new year. Yeah, absolutely, Pete. Yeah, thanks for the year, and we'll we'll see you next year. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, you too, mate. We'll catch you then. And if you uh, don't fear, we will have a weekends with Walshy next week, but it'll be weekends with Woody. And uh, we will catch you then on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. In the meantime, enjoy the episode, and uh, we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.